when someone in the crowd interrupts him with an untimely and inappropriate question. Jesus responds with one of the most searing parables about the dangers of material wealth. This is the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them all, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then Jesus told them all a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, Ah, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, there you have it. That is a pretty straightforward one. Uh, a lot of the parables Jesus tells have hidden meanings, second, third, and fourth meanings. Uh, this one doesn't really. It's pretty straightforward. It is a warning against materialism. It is a warning against greed. It is a warning against pride. A warning against uh, accepting for ourselves uh, credit for something that has come on the backs of many people. It's a warning to all of us not to measure our own worth or the worth of others based on how much we have. <laughs> I just got to tell you guys, I struggled big time with this passage this week. Big, big, big time. And I struggle just in generally anytime we're talking about faith and wealth. And... Um, I, I grew up in a family that didn't have that much money and then married into a family that has quite a bit more. And I work in a place like Brookfield and then spend two weeks every year in a place like El Salvador. And I'm somebody who believes that saving for the future is a good and responsible thing to do and who believes that God wants us to enjoy this life, both pursuits which require money. Um, but I'm also someone who takes the words of the Bible very very seriously, especially when they're the words of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you guys, I have not figured out how to reconcile those things yet. And it is hard to preach about something that you are still like so unsettled with um, yourself. So I really tried. I really said, okay, I'm not going to shy away from this. And I wrote a sermon, and I gave it at Christ the King on Thursday. And Cheryl and Heidi were unfortunate enough to be there. And let me tell you guys, it was like, here's three things to take away from this passage and five things that ways we can respond. It was terrible. It was terrible. First of all, it was very boring. I will not ask you to confirm nor deny this claim. It was very boring, but, but worse than that, it just didn't feel good giving it. It felt like moralizing. It felt luxury. It felt, um, I don't know. I mean, nobody wants to be told how to spend their money, especially not from someone as clueless as me. So I've totally scrapped all of that because I guess what I just kind of faced up to was I have not yet figured out a way to think about faith and wealth, let alone talk about it, in a way that doesn't bring in guilt and shame and shoulds. And I have not figured out 
yet how Jesus wants me to spend my money, but I do know for sure that Jesus came specifically to free me from guilt and shame and shoulds. So I've scrapped that whole thing. We're going to try something else, and maybe it's a total cop-out, and maybe it's like even worse than the last one. Again, we're not going to ask you to confirm or deny. Um, but I thought, you know, if, if I can't figure out a way to talk about greed, maybe I can talk about its opposite, generosity, and maybe that will get us to the same place anyway. So here are three times that I've been really touched by the generosity of others and, and what I take away from it. So the first thing I thought of for sure was um, my husband, Andrew, and he's not here tonight, which is why I can tell this story, so don't tell him. <laughs> I'll be really embarrassed. But um, so uh, before we were married, we were living in Bellingham, Washington, and I was in seminary, and Andrew was doing a year of service for AmeriCorps, so we were totally broke, and we were living in this uh, little one-room apartment in like, the very shadiest part of town, and we went to church uh, about a mile down the road from where we lived. And it is slightly relevant to the story for you to know that just a few weeks before this happened, we had put together our wedding registries, like the gift registries for the wedding. And we registered at Macy's and REI. And I have to tell you, wedding planning is horrible, but making the registries was like by far the worst part for me. And it all, so stressful, and it all culminated in a massive breakdown in the middle of the kitchen department at Macy's department store, right in front of the forks and knives. And I was just like, I just can't be the kind of person who owns $200 silverware. I See, this is something I struggle with. It was I was a mess. So Andrew had to like take me out of Macy's and get me a hot dog. And then we decided to add Target as a third registry to make me feel better uh, about it. So anyways. That had all happened, and a few weeks later, we went to church together, and I, as I went in, just as we were getting ready to start the service, I looked around and I realized Andrew was gone. <laughs> he had just vanished. Uh, so the service started, and there I was sitting there, and um, like halfway through the sermon, he comes in and slides into the seat next, and I'm like, where have you been? What's going on? And he leans over and he says, I gave away our tent. I'm like, what? I gave away our tent. What? So it turned out that somebody had come to the church who was homeless that they were looking for help, and Andrew had talked to them for a while, and he had decided, I'm going to drive home and get our tent and bring it back and give it to this woman. And so uh, I half wanted to, like, kiss him right in the middle of service because how incredible that I get to marry this man who would do something like that. And I half wanted to throttle him because like, hello, that's our only tent and you were supposed to go backpacking in that tent in two weeks for your bachelor party and we have no money to replace that. Like, what were you thinking? So that all happened. That was Sunday. The very next day, a package shows up on our doorstep. Any guesses? It was a tent. And it was a way nicer tent than the one that we had had before. And there was no markings on it, so you couldn't tell like who had sent it or anything. And I was convinced that it had just dropped straight down from heaven. It hadn't. 
We eventually figured out, like a month later, that my aunt and uncle had sent it. It was a wedding present. It was the first thing off of our REI wedding registry to arrive at the house. Uh, but it always felt a little bit like a, a gift from God. The second person I thought of was my sister, Emma, my little sister. She's also here this weekend, so if you see her, don't tell her that I was talking about her either. She would also be very embarrassed. But of the two of us, I've always been the one who, like, loud, center of attention, always have all these things I want and never want to give up on any of them. And Emma is just like, well, you'll see. You'll see from the story. So when I was a freshman in college, I, I won this small grant to go teach English at a Catholic school in Lesotho, which is in, it's like a tiny country in the middle of South Africa. Uh, so really cool, really cool opportunity, but it was a very small grant and it didn't even cover half of the price of a plane ticket to South Africa, which is like substantial. Um, so I really wanted to do it. Uh, I didn't have quite enough money and I was trying to work to earn the extra, but there just wasn't going to be enough time. And I was just um, about to say that I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pass on this and I can't do it when uh, in my mailbox at school, this envelope showed up, and it was full of checks from all different people. And my sister had, without telling me, she's like a sophomore in high school at the time, she had thrown a fundraiser for me. And she used our dad's classroom to host like a parent's night out, mass babysitting night. She got all of her friends to come help her watch all of these kids, and then she sent me the money so I could go on this trip. That's Emma. And then the last one, boy, this one I will never, ever, ever forget. A couple of you were here for this one. Um, when Alice was four months old, we took her on the February trip to El Salvador, and we had her baptized at Cordero, our partner church. And since obviously her godparents weren't there, Pastor Raphael told the whole church, you have to be Alice's God family. So that was Sunday, and then on Wednesday, everyone from Cordero came to the clinic that we were doing, and um, one of the girls from there named Paola, she came up to me. I think she's, I think she's 13 this year, but we, I mean, you've watched her grow up, right? She's just one of those Cordero folks. She's always there. She is super warm and welcoming to any people from here who show up, and she came up to me at the clinic, and she told me that she wanted to give the baby a gift. And out of her bag, she pulls this book. Um, and it's called Aristotle, the Naughty Cat. And um, it, she tells me that she named her cat Aristotle after the cat in the book. And this book has been so well-loved that it has literally fallen apart and been stapled back together. And she tells me she wants to give it to my daughter to start her library. And I open it up, and on the inside cover, it says... Mi primer libro, Helen Paola, my first book. This kid has given her first and quite possibly her only book to my daughter. We'll never forget that. All throughout my life, so many people have been so incredibly generous with me, generous with their money, their time, their hearts, their energy, and that includes all of you guys, right? You guys have been so, so good to me. And I think about that, and I think about all of you, and I think about Andrew, and I think about Emma, and I think about Paula, 
And then I think about the man in this story who interrupts Jesus with this question about you know, my brother and get him to give me my part of the inheritance. And the rich man in the story who God calls a fool. And here's what I think. Generosity and greed, they might be opposites, but they have one thing in common. They're both contagious. They both perpetuate. Greed begets more greed. Generosity begets more generosity. Someone says, I want my piece and maybe even more than my fair share, and then suddenly everyone else wants their piece. Someone shares something selflessly with no strings attached and no conditions, and it just keeps rippling out, right? They share, and then someone else shares, and it keeps going bigger and bigger ripples, including coming back to bless the person who started it way beyond how they ever could have imagined it. So may we be people who perpetuate not greed, but generosity. May we be so, so grateful and in touch with all of the ways that God has been generous with us and always, always, always be quick to pass it on.